Your message matters, my friend. And as a believer in the marketplace, your God-given uniqueness is a huge business asset. Like the Flamingo, you need to learn to ignore the naysayers, rise above the noise, dream bigger, and embrace the bold color and giftings you've been given. I'm Katie Horner, missionary advocate, international business owner, best-selling author, and Christian business strategy coach. And it's my great pleasure to bring you the Four of Your Success podcast over to your favorite podcast app every week. I'll be showing you how to design a business you love, one that honors God while it grows your income and legacy impact. Join me for short, thought-provoking episodes and register for our next free kingdom business class at foryoursuccesspodcast.com. If there's ever a time where we needed to pull together as believers of Christ and, and unite and try to strengthen and make the world a better place, it's now. Mm-hmm. And it, that sounds like he's yeah. preaching our message. <laughs> there's one body, one church, one spirit, one hope. The realities of the faith, the realities that unify us are already there. Christ prayed for unity. What should we all be praying for? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the one prayer request of Jesus. Think about it in the Bible that we actually have a say in whether or not it comes to fruition or not. I think in what God has done in you guys in, uh, in this podcast and the, the multitude of folks that you're reaching, the diversity, whatever God intended when, he, when you started this, he's able to bring it to completion. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Whole Church Podcast. I am one of your co-hosts, Joshua Knoll, here with your other co-host, TJ Tiberius Juan Blackwell. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. Uh, big shout out to all of our patrons over on Patreon. We could not do this show without you. Much thanks. Um, today we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to be talking to Pastor Steve Lonclo about sort of his life journey and um, what it means to be a chaplain. What even is a chaplain, you know? Sounds um, great. <laughs> thanks, Josh. But, thanks, DJ. Thanks for having me on. Oh, yeah, course, welcome. No man, welcome. And um, before we do, we'd like to review some of our audience engagement. So, uh, Got an extra shout out to one of our patrons, uh, Russell Gentry, answered our last silly question. We asked, what would be your go-to weapon of choice in a breakfast-only food fight? Russell said, hot bacon grease. So I think he wins the fight. Yeah. We're going to put Russell on a list. (laughs) That's an amazing answer. I was actually uh, cooking some bacon the other day, and the grease jumps out the pan like it does, and it hit me in my eye. And I was miserable for the next hour. So, yeah. yeah. He, good answer. He wins in a, in a yeah, fight with hot bacon grease for sure. Do that to people. I can't <laughs> believe that. <laughs> All right, so we're just going to jump straight into today's silly question then, um, and we'll answer first to to give you time to think about it. Today's silly question is just: What is your favorite rodent? And uh, TJ, I assume you're prepared for all animal questions. Uh, most of them. Yeah. yeah. Do you want to go ahead and answer first then? I will, because I feel like it might be your answer. Uh, my answer is uh, the capybara. It's it's the world's largest rodent. It is huge. Like it's the size of a medium dog. Like it is massive. They're super friendly. They don't have any natural predators. So like they're just the friendliest animals on the planet. Yeah, they're just really cool. Really cool animals. Hmm. You know, I I gotta be honest. Uh, I wrote the question down, but I never thought of an answer to it. <laughs> Yeah, you have tons I of really options. I don't even know if I have a favorite rodent. Um, do chihuahuas count? No. Are you sure? Yeah. Um, what about hamsters? Are hamsters rodents? Yep. Okay, I'll, I'll go with hamsters. They, what, they, what kind? I'm kidding. That's the cuddly. Cut. <laughs> mm. 
I, I still just don't really like rodents. Um, <laughs> uh, chaps. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, Steve Lanko will go by chaps. He gave us permission. <laughs> sure. Yeah. So, so I, um, yeah. Favorite rodent. I, so I, I'm originally from South Louisiana, Cajun, Cajun country, Lafayette, mm. Louisiana. And we have these giant rodents called Nutria rat. I don't know if you've ever heard of a Nutria, N-U-T-R-I-A. And uh, they are something else. They they really are. But they, they, they look like a giant rat. Yeah, they're huge. So it's, it's interesting to see them. Uh, but they would make lousy pets, I'm sure. Uh, so as far as pets go, I was actually talking with with a lady earlier this week who actually has two pet rats and she says they're awesome. Rats are great I, pets. Yeah, I, I, I guess they make good pets. You have to get them uh, from the pet like store. They have look. to be domesticated from birth. So so these aren't sewer rats that she you know found no, in her yeah. backyard or anything. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so so uh, she showed me some uh, some videos and some pictures and they were super cute. Yeah. Rats make great pets. They're super smart. They're playful. You know, it's a cool, cool thing to have. But anyway. And according to Indiana way. Jones and the Last Crusade, they apparently hate fire. So true. Some of them do. That's about the only thing I know about rats. Coming. <laughs> All right. So now that we've got that out of the way, uh, one thing we have found extremely helpful for our church unity, not, you know, rodent unity, uh, is to hear one another's stories. Uh, we were hoping you would share with us your story of how you met Jesus and eventually became an Anglican chaplain. Do you think you could do that for us? Absolutely. Yes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. So uh, like I'm sure many of your listeners, I was raised in a Christian home, a godly family. Uh, we we grew up in a church that was, it was named uh, Trinity Bible Church. It's still around in the, the Lafayette area. Great church. Uh, I was... Um, I guess thinking about it, I, I would say I was saved at a young age, but then didn't really take my faith seriously until my high school years. So between my, uh, my sophomore and junior year in high school, that's, that's when I really, uh, realized that if I'm going to be serious about calling myself a Christian, I need to be serious about living like a Christian. And that's when I recommitted to, to do that. Um, and my, my youth pastor had a lot to do with that. He was a great guy, uh, Craig. Uh, so yeah, the, I was, I was raised at a kind of a, a Bible, uh, Bible non-denominational ish Baptist ish church. Uh, <laughs> they go by the name community churches now, but, uh, that's, that's, that's the, the same kind of culture. Um, when I was in my early twenties, I was, uh, really interested in a girl and I followed her into Pentecostalism and I was, uh, I joined a charismatic church uh, and it was uh, a full, full tongue, tongue speaking, Pentecostal charismatic. Uh, It was, I think it was associated with the assemblies of God. I think that was assemblies of God. And when I grew up, when I was growing up, I went to an assemblies of God in Florida that I've always been church of God of prophecies. So yeah. Kind of yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Related, but, big yeah. brother. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So this, this was a, an assemblies of God church. It ended up not working out with the girl, but it ended up working out really well with the Holy spirit. So, uh, uh, I, I was at that church for a while. I ended up going to a, a church of God church, uh, church of God, Cleveland, Tennessee, uh, church. Oh, wow. And, uh, this was in, in Louisiana and, uh, I, I played, uh, drums there. I'm a, I'm a musician, a dr- drummer and guitar player. And so I, I was the drummer for that church. And of course, 
uh, if I don't know if you guys are musicians or not, but but playing drums at a at a Pentecostal mm-hmm. charismatic church is is a lot of fun. Yeah. So did that for years and ended up leading uh, music at a, a couple other different churches on guitar as worship leader and also band director. Um, when I got to my mid twenties, though, I was I was going through through a change theologically. I uh, there, there there was a lot in the the charismatic churches that I was going to that that I liked about the uh, the, the movement of the Holy Spirit, um, seeing people be prayed for and and seeing them get healed. Uh, some amazing stuff I saw. Unfortunately, I also saw what I perceived to be a lot of foolishness in in the charismatic church. Uh, yep. When when I would read things like. Paul's admonition to the Corinthians about how they are to act in church and how they are to keep things uh, decent and in order. I did not see that in the churches that I was going to. So uh, I realized there was a disconnect somewhere. And it was also about that time that, that I think I became kind of fed up with the whole idea of just church in general. I was also, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but I was also craving something a bit more historic and a bit more grounded in uh, something older, something ancient, something that it doesn't feel like, and, and, and this is not a slight to charismatic or Pentecostal churches, but at times it felt like we were, we it, it was this sort of canned spontaneity, like let's reinvent church every Sunday along the same lines that we always reinvent church with, you know, and being the musician, being the guitar player, I knew which chord to play at the right time to make the tears fall from people's faces. Right. And it, it seemed like emotional manipulation because it was emotional manipulation, if, if I'll be honest with you. And uh, so I, I, I needed something a bit more, I think, historic, something a bit more grounded. And I, I actually found that in Presbyterianism. Hmm. I, I went to a, uh, got involved at a, a uh, Presbyterian Bible study uh, became real close friends with the pastor there. He ended up mentoring me for for some time and uh, uh, eventually joined his church, which was a PCA church, Presbyterian Church in America, and was uh, dutifully uh, baptized in the five points of Calvinism, uh, <laughs> <laughs> which is a whole story in and of itself, how I came to those convictions. Uh, I'm, I'm not there anymore. But at the time, I was I was thoroughly convinced. I, I became thoroughly convinced in my study reading Westminster Confession of Faith uh, of the Five Points of Calvinism. I became convinced of infant baptism. That was a very hard pill to swallow. Um, but once my worldview had changed and my paradigm had shifted a few times, I was able to see the biblical evidence for that, and I ended up uh, uh, um, jumping in feet first to uh, to infant baptism and covenant theology. That church, unfortunately, ended up going through a church split. Uh, it was already pretty small, and it was going through a church split, and uh, and we ended up falling apart for reasons that I won't go into now. Uh, one thing about that church that was different than anything I had experienced is it was a liturgical church. Uh-huh. We followed a liturgy. We had regular prayers that we would pray together. We prayed the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. We prayed a confession of sin together. We confessed our sins together. We said the Nicene Creed together every Sunday. We celebrated uh, communion, the Lord's Supper, every Sunday. And all this was new to me. Now, the way I was raised, and uh, and, and and this is just this is just me. But uh, growing up in South Louisiana, 
you are either Catholic, Roman Catholic, or you are some brand of Protestant, usually of the charismatic Pentecostal variety of Protestant. What's in the, the, the water, at least the way I was raised, and my parents never told me this, but I, I, I think I picked it up at school because uh, I did go to a Christian school. I picked up this idea that Roman Catholicism, or at least forms of Roman Catholicism, meaning liturgical worship, saying corporate prayers, things like that, is probably bad. Um, so anything that looks like it could be Roman Catholic is is bad. It's not uh, led by the Spirit, because of course, as as we all know, the Spirit would not lead us to uh, say corporate prayers because they have to come from your heart. And if you're saying something corporate with other people, it's not coming from your heart and all that. So Plus when I started, commandment, thou what's shalt that? Not have liturgy. What's that? And, you know, the 11th commandment too. You know, thou shalt not have liturgy. That's right. It's right there. <laughs> shalt not have a liturgy. Yeah. That's right. That was on the third tablet. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so w- when I got to my Presbyterian church, that was liturgical I was confronted with what I perceived to be these, quote, Catholic forms of worship, end quote. And it, it took a lot for me to get over them, actually. It, it, it felt very bizarre. It felt out of place. However, I trusted my pastor. I knew he was a good guy, and I knew he wasn't going to lead me down, you know, he wasn't going to lead me over to the dark side. Uh, and I'll tell you what I discovered after about a month of attending that church, I was beginning to learn the dance of the liturgy. I was beginning to learn the steps. After six months of that church, I went and visited a non-liturgical church. And I was very surprised at what I saw. I saw a lot of things that I perceived as kind of back to that emotional manipulation, a lot of songs that were... Uh, kind of Jesus is my boyfriend kind of Christianity. Uh, it wasn't robust. It wasn't. Um, it wasn't manly. That's the only way I know how to put it. It, it. it was. It was weak. It was. It seemed like a distilled form of Christianity, and uh, I wanted my Jesus straight up. And so I, I returned to that liturgical church the following Sunday, that Presbyterian church. And had a new appreciation for liturgy. And what I discovered is that liturgy is a wonderful thing. Uh, and it is the, the liturgy is spiritually formative and it's working on us and forming us, whether we realize it or not. Hmm. And that's something I've always carried with me. Hmm. So skipping forward a little bit. Um, when that Presbyterian church ended up shutting its doors, a lot of the folks in that church went down the road to the Reformed Baptist Church because there's a common theology. You know, Presbyterians are very Reformed. Let's go to the Reformed Baptist Church. It'll be good. I, however, was more interested in going to another liturgical church. Um, As as much as I appreciated the Reformed side of of things, for me, I I had the the, the liturgy bug had bitten me, and and that's (laughs) what I needed to continue doing. So uh, I looked at a couple churches in town, ended up landing at an Anglican church. Uh, it was an hour drive away from my house. So we, we, wow. me and a friend of mine drove the hour to the Anglican church. And that's, that's when I experienced, I would say liturgy unfiltered. It was 
the 1928 Anglican Book of Common mm. Prayer. Mm. Uh, we had several readings of scripture. Uh, we had uh, the, the preacher there, the, the, the Anglican priest there, the rector, was an amazing, amazing preacher. Uh, one of the best preachers I've ever heard. And I really came to, to have grow into even a deeper respect for liturgy, uh, this time going the Anglican route. As, as I continued at that church, I would ask the pastor questions. I'd ask the pastor questions about, uh, you know, my reformed heritage and theology. And as I was growing in my understanding of liturgy, um, things within my reformed uh, ideology started to waver and they started to fall. A little bit later, I'm at seminary. I, I had felt the Lord called me to, uh, to, to go to seminary, uh, get a master of divinity so that I, I could become a pastor. And it was, it, it was at seminary, uh, really studying the church fathers. And then especially my second semester studying the reformation, particularly reformers like Martin Luther, uh, <laughs> that the, yeah. the, the, the robustness of a sacramental worldview became front and center. Uh, Luther is one of my favorite Protestant reformers, and his views of the sacraments are excellent, I think. He's he's very strong in the sacraments, and of course, a strong liturgical Christian as well, as as the Lutherans who follow him are. Uh, and so I, it, it was through studying Luther, uh, through studying things like his, his view of baptism and how baptism uh, now saves, as 1 Peter 3 says, and how uh, when we receive uh, the Eucharist or the or the Holy Communion meal, uh, we are truly receiving the body and blood of Christ. Uh, though we don't fall into the the uh, we don't fall into the problem of trying to explain how, like the Roman Catholics do, by by offering transubstantiation as as the explanation. We don't try to explain, but we believe that it is true. So we don't know how it's true but we believe that it's true. So we, we, we truly receive Christ's body and blood um, in, in, in a really tangible way for the renewal of our faith and the forgiveness of our sins. And that view, that sacramental worldview became front and center for me. And once I came to embrace the sacraments, things like my, my kind of reformed views, my very Calvinistic views in particular, like a very strong view of, God's eternal decree um, and uh, predestination and election, those started to falter and shift. And it was kind of like, it was like, I can't hold a robust sacramental view and hold a robust five point, very kind of black and white Calvinism at the same time. Uh, so it was the, the Calvinism that fell and the sacramental worldview that continued. And so that that's when I I would say I, I made my full full transition uh, completely into the Anglican world, right? Which leads yeah. you to where you are now with all which the leads me to where I, and the different denominations right. and so yeah, yeah so so here we are today that that was a very long explanation <laughs> oh, yeah <laughs> of how I became an Anglican journey lots of tastes of uh, the whole church if you that's will. right that's right so, um yeah man, so what, yeah, I just had a I, I know. We, we got a lot of stuff to ask and not, not a ton of time, but um, 
Yeah. Well, moving well, on, I did want to. Oh, okay. If I can, let, let me just wrap that up with my with with one more thing, because I, I don't want anyone to think that that I didn't appreciate my journey. Uh, I the thing I loved about the church growing up is they taught me to, to they they taught me the Bible and they taught me to love Scripture. For that, I am forever grateful. My time in Pentecostalism taught me uh, about the Holy Spirit and the movement of the Holy Spirit, particularly in worship. And for that, I'm I'm forever thankful. Taught me about you know praying for healing and believing in that, and and wonderful. My my Presbyterian heritage uh, taught me how to how to think intellectually through the faith, and that there is an intellectual component to the faith. And for that, I am forever grateful. And I feel like all of those found a place within the framework of Anglicanism. I didn't have to reject one to hold to the other. Mm-hmm. I could I could hold all of those together in in harmony. Right. Yeah. So well, I was going to ask before before we move on, just hopefully really quick, because <laughs> I know we we got a lot to cover. But um, well, first, I, I just wanted to comment. I thought it was really interesting. You talking about um, your view on the sacrament of communion. Yeah. It's on a very similar to we talked to Father Jonathan of the Orthodox Church recently. And, you know, they, yeah. they you know, it's a both and and they just they uh, chalk it up to the phrase divine mystery, which there's a lot of meaning behind that phrase for them. But sure, that kind of just brought that to remembrance. Um, but also, so you yeah, mentioned brought, that uh, brought it you to were. <laughs> Thank you. No pun intended. Right? Uh, yeah. But you um, you mentioned you were a five point Calvinist. I was. Yes. You're not still. Uh, I'm not. Could you just uh, real quick just uh, educate everyone what what were the five points of Calvinism? Yeah, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. If you stand on any of them still, we'd like to know which ones. Sure. Yeah. So the five points of Calvinism uh, are best summed up in an acronym TULIP, T-U-L-I-P. Uh, the first T is for total depravity, which is the idea that um, humanity is is uh, broken and and crooked. Uh, and, and, uh, our sin nature is total. The meaning it, it has touched every aspect of what it means to be a human. Uh, that does not mean that, that, that a human person is as wicked as they could possibly be. It sometimes gets yeah. thought of like that, but that's, that's not what total depravity is. It just means that the human depravity that we experience is total. It affects our intellect. It affects our emotions. It affects our physical body. Uh, and we need to be healed from that depravity that we have. So that's the T. The U in TULIP is unconditional election, which is that uh, God from before the foundations of the world unconditionally elects those whom he will save. And if you're more on the hyper-Calvinist side, you would also say he also elects those whom he will damn or he elects those whom he will uh, condemn to hell. Uh, And that is not based on anyone uh, that is not based on the a work that anyone does or a character trait in anyone. His election for salvation and condemnation is unconditioned based on us. It's, it's not it's not conditional on who we are. It is unconditional. And then the L is limited atonement. And uh, so this is the one that started to waver first for me. But li- limited atonement is the idea that uh, the father covenants with the son. God, the father covenants with the son eternally and the father sends the son. Uh, let me back up. The father chooses whom he will save. The son then comes uh, into the earth through the incarnation. He's incarnated as Jesus Christ from the womb of his mother, Mary. Uh, he takes on that human body. He goes to the cross and he dies for those whom the father has elected, meaning he ha- he does not die for 
the non-elect. He only dies for those whom the Father has elected. Therefore, the atonement is limited to those elected, to the elected category, I should say, that the Father has chosen. And then the Holy Spirit is sent to effectively call those people uh, to Jesus so they can be united to Christ and reconciled back to the Father. But the atonement is only for a limited number of the elect people. Um, and we could talk about why I disagree with that later, but uh, just, just to continue, uh, T-U-L-I is irresistible grace. That is, uh, this is the Holy Spirit will effectively call those whom the Son has died for that have been elected from before the foundations of the world. So if you are a part of that number of the elect, God will irresistibly call you by his grace, meaning he will change your heart. Now, that is sometimes caricatured as a person like kicking and screaming in, into heaven. And that's not really how it is because, because God will come and change the person's heart to where then they want to be saved and they want Christ and they want the Holy Spirit and they want to live a holy and righteous life. Um, and, but that calling or rather that grace that is given is irresistible, meaning it cannot be resisted by the person whom God wants to save. Otherwise, we would have to say that God fails in his, in his, uh, in his saving, in, in his power to save somebody. Finally, is the P in Tulip, which is perseverance of the saints. Those whom the Father has elected, whom the Son has died for, whom the Holy Spirit has called, will necessarily persevere in their faith, meaning they cannot fall away. So the elect cannot fall away. Now, there will be those who uh, walk with Christ for a time that that have the trappings of Christianity. They they seem to everyone who meets them that they are a strong Christian, a faithful Christian and a person of faith, but they may fall away. And to a Calvinist, they would say, well, that person must have not really been a part of the elect to begin with. Or whereas yeah. the Baptists tend to say, well, they were never really saved to begin with. Right. Kind of the 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 Baptist flip side of the same coin of this of this particular point is is once saved always saved, right? Once saved always saved. That's what you hear in the Baptist circles and in the Calvinist circles. It's more perseverance of the saints that the saints will necessarily persevere in their faith because they have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and they will continue in that faith and they will not be lost because God will not lose those whom He has called. So that's yeah. Calvinism in a nutshell. All right. Hey guys, we just wanted to take a quick break to tell you a few ways you can support the Whole Church Podcast, your favorite church unity podcast. Yeah, so you can always rate this show on Apple Podcast or Podchaser. You can sign up for our newsletter either on our website or by emailing us at thewholechurch at gmail.com. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can share this episode on your own social media. You can donate to our Cash App with the tag in the show notes. You could follow us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the whole church podcast, or you could subscribe to this show wherever good podcasts are found. Yeah, especially that last one. That's you know, probably the easiest way to make sure you get all the episodes when they come out. Yeah. And to show us that you really love us. Yeah. All right. So let's get back to the show. Indeed. Yeah. So um, you said uh, you dropped the, the L. I drop the L. Once you drop the L, everything else starts to crumble. So, okay. so, gotcha. so okay. I, 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 I the, the thing is, when when I read the scriptures, 
Well, let me not even put this on the Bible because I don't want to be that guy that's like, well, you know, the Bible says and ha ha ha, I, you're wrong because I quoted the Bible. So, but, but th- th- there are places, uh, th- with, with the sacraments, like, like first Peter chapter three, you know, baptism now saves. There are places where it seems ev- even with, uh, with the Lord's Supper that, that the non elect, can receive the true benefits of Christ, right? So, mm-hmm. so let's just take baptism for example. If uh, if First Peter three is correct and baptism saves, and I believe it does, what does that mean? What does Peter mean by that? Well, let's ask first. What does he not mean by that? Peter does not mean that you automatically go to heaven when you die because someone sprinkled some water on you. That's not what Peter means. Yeah, full what emotion Peter, or nothing is what Peter meant. Right? That's right. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's really what it is. Yes. So uh, what Peter means is that those who are is, is that the Holy Spirit uses rites like baptism because Christ has promised Himself to work through those rites. The Holy Spirit uses these rites to unite us to Christ. So when we say baptism saves, what we're really saying is Jesus saves us, and the means He saves us, or the means by which we are saved, is through this ceremony called baptism. Much like I might say, the means whereby I am married to my wife is a ceremony called marriage, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So the point isn't that the marriage ceremony as an end in itself. Marriage is the means whereby I'm joined to my wife. And that's what baptism is. It's not really about the, the water ceremony so much as it is about being joined to Christ. And that's the way that we're joined to Christ. So, you know, baptism and faith. However, here's the thing, because those who are baptized don't automatically go to heaven when they die they can fall away. And we have warnings in the scripture of people doing just that. There are people who make a shipwreck of their faith, uh, but that does not mean that they were not actually united to Christ and a part of those who are saved. They were saved and now they're not saved. So so a person can be saved by faith and baptism and re- and trample upon the graces that they received in baptism. Um, so... Also, uh, with with limits, so so that is is kind of a, a nail in the perseverance of the saints, mm-hmm. the, the P of tulip. But uh, if we are saved through baptism, then the atonement cannot be limited. Uh, the atonement must be unlimited because uh, we have potential to save everyone. You know, if everyone were baptized, everyone would be saved. Again, that does not mean that everyone will automatically go to heaven when they die. That's not what we're talking about. But but there is a genuine union with Christ through the sacrament of baptism because Christ likes to save people. So therefore, the atonement cannot be limited. The atonement is 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 a it's 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 an unlimited atonement. So, yeah, there there is potential to save. Yeah. To save all. Awesome. Um, all right, yeah, I'm gonna. And you can also I'm see how, how the T-shirt, man. Yeah, Christ <laughs> to save people. <laughs> Christ, he does, and yeah. that's that's something that shifted with me. You know, when I was a, when I was a Presbyterian, and this is just me. So this is this isn't against my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. This is just the way I thought about it. When I was a Presbyterian, I sort of had this idea that Jesus doesn't really like to save people. He only likes to save some. Uh, but as an Anglican, I could say, no, no, no. Jesus actually wants to save you, and I could look at a person in the eyes and say, Christ died for you. Christ Don't died worry. for Let's do an you. Ultra call DJ. and wrap this up. <laughs> Christ died for you, Josh. That's right. Because if the if the atonement is unlimited, then Christ did die for everyone, and everyone is invited 
to exactly like you said, come forward and 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 receive Christ. Gotcha. All right. So uh, one question down. <laughs> we got the Anglican part down. Um, <laughs> we told everybody we were going to ask you about being a chaplain. Um, yeah. I learned in talking to you earlier. I didn't even truly know what a chaplain was. I think I always just had this idea of you know he's the he's the army's pastor. That that's it. Right. Um, what exactly is a chaplain? Yeah. That, thank you for asking. A, a chaplain is an institutional pastor, basically. So there are uh, hospital chaplains, there are hospice chaplains, there are um, uh, prison chaplains, and, and my, my particular chaplaincy, I'm, I'm in the United States Navy. So I am a chaplain in the United States Navy, currently serving at a Coast Guard unit. So I am an institutional pastor that is that that provides pastoral and spiritual care to my flock. Right. Uh, gotcha. What is it? What has it been like for you to counsel people of other denominations or even other faiths if the neighbors yes. made you do that? Yes. That. Yeah. Great. Great question. Yes. So I I do do a lot of counseling, and the thing about th- uh, all, all military is the military wants us. The, the military does not tell us to check our faith at the door or check our denomination at the door and just give sign a kind of some gobbledygook feel good morality. Uh, the military actually wants us to be uh, to, to represent our religious order. So for me, that's an Anglican. And so when, when I'm uh, preaching at my chapel services, if, if you were to show up on a Sunday at my chapel service, it would be a full-blown Anglican Book of Common Prayer service. You know, no, no holes barred. Y- you would leave knowing about Jesus and you would leave knowing about the prayer book, right? Um, and I'm, I'm fully vested in Anglican vestments and all that. Um, so, so uh, but when it comes to um, caring for others, um, I, I always care for others from my faith tradition because I can't divorce myself from my faith tradition. I can't divorce myself from being an Anglican. I can't turn that part of my brain off for a little while and talk to somebody. But at the same time, I want to respect other people's beliefs. Even when I disagree with those beliefs, I still respect those beliefs. So, for example, if I have a, a Buddhist in my office and, and they're asking for advice on how to manage stress – well, there's a lot of basic kind of workplace stress management techniques that are that are universal. That you don't have to be a person of faith to take advantage of these of these techniques. Um, and and I'll share those techniques and and I'll share some personal experience with them. But oftentimes I'll I'll ask them if I can share from my own faith. And I'll preface it by saying, "I'm a Christian chaplain. Can I share something with you that I find very helpful from my own Christian faith?" And people are usually very open to that, even if they're not Christian. Mm-hmm. And so that that then is my permission to talk Jesus to them, basically, and mm-hmm. and and to 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 do to do some of that. But I always I always ask first, um, and I, I usually will also ask if I can pray for them according to my faith tradition. So if someone's coming in and, and they're really struggling, I'll ask, "Can I pray for you according to my faith tradition?" And if they say yes, then that's going to be. You know, I'm going to end that prayer with, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Right. Awesome. So, you, Navy chaplain, you know, obviously you're usually preaching to sailors or you're in the Coast Guard right now. I guess they're sailors. Ghosties. Ghosties. <laughs> but uh, 
we talked about Augustine's doctrine of just war recently on the podcast. Yeah. And uh, have you, you, I believe you told Josh that you've used that to counsel other Christians in the military. Uh, do you feel like it would be challenging for Christians who have served uh, to be united with other Christians who are completely pacifistic and don't believe in war at all? Yeah, that's a great question. So I was actually having a conversation recently with a friend of mine who's a pacifist, and I was encouraging that that friend to become a chaplain. And he was like, I, I can't be a chaplain, you know, uh, because the military is a warfighting organization. I'm, I'm, I'm a pacifist. How would that work? <laughs> so uh, what's, what's really helped me is Luther's two kingdoms view. There's, there's a lot of ways uh, to, to Christianly speak about how the, the, the church and the state relate and don't relate to each other. Um, the, one that, the, the one that I like uh, is, is Luther's two kingdoms view. And it is basically this. There's, there's, there's a kingdom of the right hand, and that is the kingdom of the church. And the church has a very particular call in this world to bring word and sacrament to the world. Uh, this is the call that Christ gave uh, in the Great Commission. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, the Holy Spirit, etc. That's the church's job. That's their mission in this world. That is our marching orders. Uh-huh. Then there's this other kingdom on the left hand, and that is the kingdom of the state. This kingdom is also given by God. So the the kingdom of the church and the kingdom of the state are not at odds with each other. And, and, and even with Luther, he would say, you can, you can belong to both kingdoms. Actually, it's, it's kind of like having like a, like a a double jurisdiction, you Mm -hmm. know, like I could be, I could be a citizen of America and I can also be a citizen of France, for example. Uh, so the kingdom of the state has, has a different job to do in this world. Their job is to, uh, protect the innocent and to punish the wicked and to mete out justice. So they carry the the ministry of the sword. So th- they are they are given authority by God to bring about uh, punishment. Now, notice the church is not that's not the job or role of the church. That is the role of the state. Likewise, it is not the role of the state to preach the gospel and to. Uh, you know, to, 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 to go forth and baptize and make disciples and, and to evangelize. That's not the job of the state, but that is the job of the church. So for someone like me as a chaplain, I find myself serving in both of these kingdoms, right? I am an Anglican priest and chaplain. So I, I am very much in the ministry of the gospel or rather the, 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 uh, the ministry of the church, but I'm also this, this institutional chaplain serving as an officer in the United States military. So I have this, this, this state aspect as well in, in, in my ministry. And, and truly I, I believe that, that it is that, that God does give, uh, uh, authority for governments to mete out justice and punish evil. And sometimes the way that we mete out justice and punish evil is through our militaries. So, in in that way, we can uh, have war. Now, war is always awful and terrible, and I don't recommend it. But mm-hmm. but the you know, like you're, you're talking about Augustine's just war. Yes, yes, there is such a thing as a just war. Uh, I believe, 
And and it's just not only because of the cause of the war, but in how we go about waging the war is just the reason for these for these wars, though, is because, unfortunately, there are non-Christians in the world. (laughs) And if everyone was a Christian, we wouldn't really even need the ministry of the state. We wouldn't need the ministry of the sort to punish wicked because no one would be wicked. We would all be faithful Christians loving and serving our neighbors. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be awesome? Yeah. But because there are people who are not faithful Christians loving and serving their neighbors, uh, there's wickedness in this world. There's there's bad guys out there, and those bad guys need to be stopped. And a military or a police force, for example, so- sometimes you have to punish a bad guy or stop a bad guy for the sake of loving your neighbor, a, a very Christian duty of loving your neighbor. If I stop Hitler in the Third Reich, then then I'm loving all those those German Jews who would otherwise be killed in concentration camps. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that is, you know, just war. Exactly. And so 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 for me as as a chaplain, I I am not a part of a I am a part of a war fighting organization. However, uh, as a chaplain, I do not bear arms. I, 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 I do not pick up weapons. I, I am a non-combatant. So, um, but I minister to people who are combatants. I minister to people who have been granted authority by the civil government to, to meet out justice. So, for example, I was, I was talking with, with one chaplain and he, he, he told me this story. And, and, and this is, I think, very, very poignant. Um, he was with the Marine Corps and a Marine Corps sniper came up to him and, uh, was, was confessing to this chaplain that, uh, the, the sniper was confessing to this chaplain that he enjoyed, uh, putting, putting the terrorist in his sights and pulling the trigger. Uh-huh. He, he liked it. And my, my chaplain friend was, was a bit taken back, but he started asking him, he said, okay, well, let me ask you. Would you enjoy doing that if it was an innocent, if it was an innocent person? No, absolutely not, chaps. Would you enjoy doing that if it was a child? Absolutely not, chaps. At, at that time, we, we were, this, this was the war in Afghanistan. And he said, okay, so, so you enjoy uh, uh, killing um, evil um, um, uh, evil soldiers of the enemy army. Would you enjoy killing civilians? You know, um, Af, Af, uh, Af, Afghans, Af, Afghanis, uh, uh, civilians. Would, would would you enjoy doing that? He goes, No, no. There's they're civilians. They're innocent. That would be murder. This this sniper said. He says, So so you you only enjoy killing the bad guys, pe- pe- people whom you have been ordered to take down because they have committed some sort of atrocious terrorist terrorist act. He says, Yes. To which my chaplain then responded, well, it sounds like you are, you are carrying out the ministry God has called you to do, which is to mete out justice through the kingdom of the left, the kingdom of the state, by bringing the sword to punish evildoers. God has called you to be a sniper, and you are doing the Lord's will. You should be happy when you do the Lord's will. Huh. Huh. That's what this chaplain told this Marine, and the Marine went off feeling you know, very good about himself. Now that's, that's, I I think that's a helpful paradigm. I I would add to that though, that anytime we take a life, whether it's the, whether it's by accident or whether it's in 
a a just war or even if someone breaks in to my house and and in complete self-defense i end up shoot sh- sh- uh, shooting this this poor person you know that causes a moral injury to, to my soul uh-huh. and those moral injuries uh need to be healed they need healing and that's where the gospel comes in and and so uh that's that's part of the job of of the chaplain is to recognize those moral injuries in, in people and to offer the appropriate spiritual and pastoral care so that our our brave soldiers marines airmen sailors coasties uh can can uh can can continue on and and return home to their families yeah All right. and, um it'd be really interesting if we could at some point later on in this pod you know, and our show have um, the kind of Christian pacifist who's completely against violence on and bring up the same points. And yeah, and, and the perspective think it'd be sure. Interesting. Yeah, that would be interesting. But, and then and there is an Anabaptist streak from from the, the Reformation period, which which is very much that way. Kind of the brethren yeah. you see seen in the Mennonites today. And yeah, I was going to say the Mennonites, which uh, came from the yeah, Anabaptist. which which is kind of separating yourself from from the state. And uh, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, whole different, whole different thing. But it'd be interesting yeah. to get that side, uh, just kind of get that perspective as well. Um, yeah. Man, what you're what you're talking about and describing being a chaplain like uh, it, it reminds me of um, Hacksaw Ridge. I don't know if you ever saw that movie. Oh yeah, uh, that's the great guy one. who uh, the medic who's who was a pastor. He's like I'm not going to hurt anybody, but he worked with the military and he's like I'm just going to keep saving these people's lives. And uh, that's and and that's what movie. I do as a chaplain. You know, there there are people who have those those qualms, those pacifists who who say I could never take a life. I could never commit an act of violence. And I say, come be a military chaplain because you're not being asked to. You are being asked to minister to those people who do take lives, though. Mm-hmm. You are being asked to minister to, to those people walking around with a bunch of moral injuries. Mm-hmm. The people and, that and need that it. is a ministry that we need. Yeah, they, they need that ministry. Amen. And it, it, is, it is a fantastic work. Um, we do thank you for everything you do, man. And um, But as we're wrapping up, uh, one thing we always like to ask people before we get into kind of the outro stuff. Uh, we like to ask um, if you had to just give a single tangible action, just something practical, some that people listening can go do. And having been at so many different churches, you probably have a have a good idea on some of this. Um, what's something that someone can do that would help better maintain unity in the church today? Mm, that is a great question. If I had more time to think about it, I would probably give you a different answer. And then if you gave me even more time, I would probably give you a different answer than that one. So right. <laughs> should keep coming back every so often. That's we'll right. On the That's show. right. Um, Thank you. We Thank use you. this link a lot. So you just check and see if we're there. You know? yeah. yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, I, I'll tell you. So I, I live in Elizabeth City right right now. That's that's where I'm serving with the Coast Guard unit. Um, Elizabeth City is in the national news. Uh, we have protests in the streets. Uh, because a white police officer uh, gunned down a black man uh, who was fleeing the scene of a warrant being served or or something like that. I, I don't really know all, all the details of what's going on, but uh, be, because of, of that, uh, because of that, there is a lot of protesting right now. Um, a, a lot of things happening with uh, the Black Lives Matter movement and Black Voters Matter movement. Um, there is civil unrest. I believe the governor recently called a, a state of emergency for Elizabeth City. He did. So that just yeah. just in case 
he could bring in the National Guard if he needs right. to. He did now, that before I, the footage was even released from the body cams. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, okay. So that being said, I actually went down to, to, to look at the protest and go meet some of those folks. And it was very peaceful. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll just say that it, it was not a violent protest. It was peaceful. It wasn't riots. Um, it was, it, it was peaceful. And, and I went down to go learn from them and, and to go pray with, with some of them because those folks are hurting right now. So my, my response to this whole thing though is as, as much as, as I will guard anyone's first amendment right to peacefully assemble and protest and have your voice heard. Um, I think perhaps the best way to bring about change is to do the hard work of loving our neighbor. What do I mean by that? My response to these, to these protests and the civil unrest and, and the peacelessness was to go around to my neighborhood, knock on doors and invite all of my neighbors to a, a block party. And it was a, a block party to show Christ's love and peace to people. I, I live in an ethnically diverse neighborhood. We have whites, blacks, uh, Hispanics, um, some, some Asians and, and all kinds of, of different people living in my neighborhood. And I, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we could all come together and share a meal? I mean, isn't that what Jesus does for us? He, he invites all of us together all of us who are broken sinners and he invites us to his table and he feeds us himself, his own body and blood through, through bread and wine. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, wouldn't it be great if we came together to share a meal a, and, and, and have just a non-political evening and, and, and take a break from all the civil unrest going on. And, uh, it, I, it was a great experience. It, it, it really was. We had a lot of people come and participate and I could tell a lot of people, we're very thankful that someone reached out and showed them love in a very tangible way. Right. So that's the very long answer <laughs> to say, what can we do to bring unity? We have to do the hard work of loving our neighbors as ourselves, regardless of ethnicity, regardless of theological tradition, regardless of I believe X and you believe Y. You know, regardless of how many points of Calvinism we may or may not be, we have to do the, 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 the hard work of getting out there and loving our neighbors in very tangible ways. Right. Yeah. Uh, what so do you basically um, have a church unity cookout? Right. Sounds great. Yeah. <laughs> how do you think we would see uh, our community and society as a whole change if everyone started doing that hard work? Well, I, I think we would actually see great change. We unfortunately live very insulated lives. Um, and, and I'm, I'm the first to say I'm guilty of this. I, it is so easy for me to get busy with the work of ministry and to get busy with the work of chaplaincy that I forget to actually leave my office and go out and talk to people, <laughs> which sounds ridiculous, right? Like, Hey, you're a chaplain. You're supposed to be out there talking to people, right? That's, that's what chaplains do. Uh, but even I have to remind myself to say, I need to pull myself away from my computer. I need to pull myself away from, from, you know, following up on all my emails and planning my sermon and getting all this stuff done for the chapel service and blah, 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 blah. And I need to go out there and just show Christ's love to people. When we do that, people, people respond. And nine times out of 10, people respond positively. There's, there's, there's always that, that one guy who, who gets mad when we, 
you know, we, we, we show Christ's love in a tangible way. And, and, and they're like, Oh, I'm not a Christian. I'll believe in organized religion. It's like, Oh, that's fine. That's fine. You know, you, you can do your thing, but that's not going to stop me from loving you. And that's not going to stop me from praying for you. Yeah. All right. Awesome. So the, uh, the last thing we like to do in our show before we get to the outro is our God moment segment. Uh, you know, it's just where we share something God's done in our lives recently, whether it's a challenge or a blessing, a chance to worship, any of those things. And I like to give make Josh go first because it gives me more time. And yeah, I think I will continue doing that. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, to be vague, which I know everybody loves when I'm vague, um, I have a few people in my life who are just uh, going through things right now. Um, since it's other people is why I like to be vague, you know, I don't want to air people's stuff out. But um, I don't know. My heart's been really burdened for some of the people around me and um, just kind of working through the heaviness God's placed on my heart and realizing that that's, um, I think it's God placed empathy. So uh, that's kind of a challenge in of itself. So uh, you guys can just pray with me. You don't need to know what it is, but um, yeah, pray. Right. All right. So uh, my God moment segment of, you know, the past however many weeks, time is a blur. None of it exists, <laughs> whatever. Uh, a good, close friend of mine just recently got an opportunity to uh, upgrade his life, I guess. Uh, he didn't like his job, didn't really like the place he was living. And uh, he's been granted the opportunity to go back to uh, where he spent his college years. And, you know, he's sprung at that opportunity uh, with, you know, and get a new job that he doesn't hate. Uh, and I'm just yeah, really thankful time. that he got that opportunity because not everyone does. It's really awesome to see. So, chaps, do you do you yes. have a God moment for us? I I do I do thank thank you. I was uh, this past Sunday, one of the folks in my chapel service asked me to pray for them because they had, um, they had some cancer on their face. They had a melanoma on their face, and they had it removed. And he had an open wound, and it was. It had, they hadn't stitched up yet because they weren't sure if they got it all. And then he went back and they checked and they did get it all. And so they stitched it up and then the stitches broke open one night and he had to be rushed to the hospital and it's right on the side of his face. And so it's, it is very painful and, and, uh, he can't sleep at all. Um, so he, he was out, he was at the chapel service and I just asked if I could pray for him. Let me pray for you. Let me anoint you with oil. And I did. I anointed him with oil in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We asked for healing and saw him a week later and really almost the entire wound has been in, entirely healed in, wow, in just a week. That. Right. So it, it was, it's, it's an awesome testimony to the fact that God loves us. God loves to heal us. Um, you know, the book of James was not wrong <laughs> when James <laughs> says, you know, come before the elders and have them pray for you and, and anoint you with oil. And, and I, I like to to remind people that that truly, and, and and this is probably my Pentecostal coming up. Truly, truly, we will all be healed when we ask for prayer. Uh, sometimes the Lord chooses to heal us in this life, but if He doesn't choose to heal us in this life, we shall be healed in the resurrection when we receive our new glorified bodies that that knows no knows no tear and knows no sin and knows no pain. That's right. That's right. God loves to save and God loves to heal. Good word. All right. Yeah. You, you know, you'd always be surprised at how fast the face heals, but that's a different conversation for a different podcast. Uh, 
So uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you, uh, chaps, for being on today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend or enemy, uh, whoever you can get to listen. That works for us. Uh, so some future guests we're going to have for the podcast. Uh, Pastor Andy Kinder, good friend of ours, big camp guy. Uh, Dr. Craig Alice, Greg Allison, author of Historical Theology and Introduction to Christian Doctrine. Uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, I think I'm saying that right. Uh, host of the Naked Bible podcast and author of Unseen Realms. And naturally, at the end of the season, we will have one Mr. Francis Chan. Is Francis Chan a doctor? I'm sure. No. Tell us. He, he also doesn't know he's going to be on. He also um, does not know he's going to be on the show, yeah. but yeah. he will one day uh, and then he'll I agree to be on. Him, he's currently having a moment of silence and solitude. <laughs> you know, eventually he'll he'll not be having a moment of silence right. and solitude. Awesome. Right. You guys got some heavy hitters coming up, so yeah. I, I thank you so much for having me on the podcast. And uh, I'm, I'm not even in the same category at all with 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 those awesome guys. So so thanks oh, no, hey, thanks for having me no on and, and hey, putting up no, with my here, but, uh, my rant. We have one more thing for you. We've yeah, got one yeah, more thing please. for you. Uh, if you're if you're listening right now, head on over to Patreon, slide us a couple dollars, and you can check it out. Uh, but if you're not inclined to do so, thank you for listening, and see us here next week. <laughs>